0: Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Shurel Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. With me in the studio today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 38-year veteran in the automotive industry.
1: Hey, Rob. Thank you so much for having me ride along today.
0: And Bill Shurel, a guy who's been driving a long time and has a lot of great questions.
2: Hi, Rob. Glad to be part of the drive today.
0: Today we're going to talk about dashboard warning lights. So what the heck does that mean? Dashboard warning lights. They've been referred to many times as when you start your car up or turn your key to the on position. It's like a Christmas tree lighting up.
2: Gosh, I hope not. <laughs>
0: like... So our dashboard warning lights, the different colored lights that pop up in your dash, have been around since I eh, about the really the late mid to late 70s. And that is related to about the time that computers became involved in the cars.
2: Way back when, before computers came into the picture, what were the basic warning lights that were on your dash?
1: There was about three standard lights that were on the dash, or gauges at that point. You had the oil pressure light, or oil pressure gauge, the coolant temperature, and the voltage or the amperage of the charging system.
2: I think that amperage is still a gauge
1: amperage went away because it's actually running all of the power that the car generates through the gauge and there was a high probability for fires. So now they're measuring voltage instead.
0: Makes sense. So really back in those days that you're referring to, it was more of a kind of a manual system. You're actually seeing gauges fluctuate on the dash. You're seeing them start from the bottom and go up to pressure or temperature, kind of almost like a a, a pilot in an old airplane back then.
1: Yep, they were actual readings of what the car was doing.
0: You know, the first use of an actual computer in a car was just simply for the purpose of engine control. It had nothing to do with tire pressure anything or any of these other systems that we'll talk about later, but it was simply engine control. And actually, the automotive manufacturers began introducing early versions of computer control systems to perform just that one function. Back in 1968, Volkswagen introduced the first vehicle with a computer-controlled EFI.
2: Now, what is EFI? I have to call a jargon alert on that one.
0: Yeah, we're talking shop here, aren't we? Yeah, Mike. EFI actually stands for electronic fuel
2: injection. Oh, that tells me a lot more. So could you expand on that ever so slightly?
1: Sure. EFI, or electronic fuel injection, uses electrical current... To control the amount of fuel going into the engine. It's a lot more precise. It will, in the long run, generate more power and better emission control out the tailpipe.
0: Bumping forward just a little bit, ECUs have become a standard device in most cars since the late 1970s. ECU actually stands for Electronic Control Unit. So that's probably a technical way of saying onboard computer. Is that right?
1: That's exactly what it is.
0: These became a standard device on most cars starting in the late 70s up through today because of government emission standards.
1: Yep, when the government mandated the CAFE, Corporate Average Fuel Economy, the auto manufacturers had to design cars that were more fuel efficient. There's actually different plateaus of fuel efficiency that each car manufacturer has to have throughout its fleet All the way back in the late 70s until the future. They're out 5-10 years right now mandating what the corporate fuel economy has to be in 2030.
0: I would imagine anytime we're talking about emissions, uh, these are things that start in California and seem to kind of fade to the east. Is that probably what happened back in the day?
1: Back in the 70s, absolutely. For those of you that are a little older, remember smog out in California in the Los Angeles Basin. That's where a lot of this mandate really started to control that smog because of all the automobiles running through the Los Angeles area.
2: And I think, you know, for myself, like just my car that I had three years ago, four years ago, I think it was, it was the first car that shut off or that had that feature from my driving experience that you come to a stop at the stop and go light or whatever, and your car shuts down, which I, you know, relate directly to fuel emissions. And, you know, the if the car's not idling, it just controls a lot of fuel emission problems.
1: Exactly. Anytime you can keep exhaust going out the tailpipe, you're going to automatically
2: reduce emissions. Which is a good thing. Clean air is important. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: So when you talk about these these modes or shutdown mode, as you said, Bill, um, obviously this is controlled by a computer, and it kind of comes back around to the majority of the car's systems, if not all of them, these days are controlled by a computer, and this is all automatic and done for you, nothing that you're having to do anymore.
1: Oh, there's a dozen or more computers on the most basic car anymore. I find it fascinating that all you got to do is hit the gas pedal to start the car back up, and it's instantly moving again
0: what does this conversation have to do with my dashboard warning lights? Well, basically, if we could actually can make it really simple in one phrase, the dashboard warning lights is your car communicating with you as a driver. That's its way of communication. So what's important here and what we're going to get into is being able to understand and decipher its language is really what we need to do with the lights.
2: And when it's screaming at you and when it's just kind of whispering a nice... Little message.
0: So, back again, that last question what does this have to do with my dashboard lights? Communication, huge. Many of our listeners have, have piped in at times and asked uh, questions and how many different warning lights are there in my car? Brian, you're going to have to give us some information on that because I'm not 100% sure. We talked about this earlier. I think it matters on the year making model.
1: Oh, absolutely. It depends on what accessories and what the manufacturers put into the car. As far as creature features, if nothing else. So, all of those systems have to be monitored, and the dashboard warning light is let you know if there may be an issue with the system.
0: So, 15, 20 lights?
1: Easily. Easily. It's, it really depends on the manufacturer. And some go down to letting you know that you got a burned out brake light.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I know there are vehicles out there too that will actually set off a warning light if your brake pad is low.
1: Yep. Those are out there. Those have been there for quite a while.
0: Now, one way that I've, uh, I guess I've tested in my years with automotive repair, I've tested or made notes of what kind of lights I do have in my dash is just to turn the key in the on position without starting it up. And typically everything lights up for just a couple seconds. Is that true?
1: That gets most of the lights. You actually have to go to the start position to pick up a couple of additional lights.
0: And you get only a few seconds, I think. Yep, you only get
1: a couple seconds for that.
0: Now, is there any standardization with these lights? Are the different manufacturers required to be standard with the type of light, or is this decisions made by each different manufacturer?
1: As far as I know, there's only one that is mandated, and that's the tire pressure monitor. All of the other lights are manufacturer-specific.
0: So let's get into some scenarios, I guess, with these dash warning lights. I've had people comment to me in regards to friends and neighbors, co-workers that have stated that they've had that light on for years. It doesn't seem to make a difference. Is that a smart thing to let it go?
1: I personally wouldn't let it go, but Penny Hofstetter put piece of tape over her car.
0: Who's Penny?
1: You don't know who Penny is?
0: I'm sorry. I'm I'm Uh, out on this one. uh,
1: She's off the Big Bang Theory. And it would just drive Sheldon nuts that the light was on and she wouldn't do anything about it. So
0: she put a piece of tape on
1: it. Piece of tape right over it. So,
2: I hope it's black
0: electrical
1: it tape so it didn't electric- show
2: up on the dash. Yep.
0: Yep. So potentially what could happen to Penny's car if that goes on for a while?
1: Well, uh, it depends on what light comes on. If it's an oil pressure light, which is a typically a red light, you could damage the engine in a matter of seconds. If it's the check engine light that comes on, but it's not flashing, that indicates that there's a fault in the system somewhere. It can be as simple as an emission control system, or it could be as serious as the engine is misfiring if that light is flashing. There's many different things, so it's best that you get it checked out right away.
0: So rule of thumb, you don't want to let it go, no matter what it is, unless you 100% understand what that light's telling you
1: depending on what light it is yes absolutely
2: and even if there's lights on when I've taken my car in when that's happened then they give you they have to run it and hook it up and that there's going to be a code that comes out and tells them that
1: the code will tell them what system it's in okay so the emission control system the fuel delivery system transmission various areas to help them narrow down to diagnose what's actually going on.
0: So what could a driver or owner of a vehicle expect to have happen if they ignore a warning light for a long period of time? I mean, I I know that's a very broad question. Well,
1: if we stick with the check engine light, that one monitors many of the systems on the engine. Reduced fuel economy could happen. Excessive emissions coming out the tailpipe are probably the most common things. The driver's not going to notice the emissions, but reduced fuel economy, reduced power your operating costs are going to go up because of that
2: if it's a tpms light
0: you know you're going to get a flat tire right that would be the worst part of that light would be a flat tire but not only a flat tire but a possible blowout so right. it could get pretty serious yep. even on the lighter side right. so
1: there's other lights that indicate that you're due for maintenance you can ignore that one for a while until you can get your car scheduled in to get the routine maintenance performed so it really depends on which light it is to determine when you got to get it in. I would suggest opening up the owner's manual and getting yourself familiar with what each light means. From car to car, they can look different as to what system it's actually monitoring.
0: So I know it's really perceived out there to be a hindrance by a lot of people. They don't want the lights to come on. They think, well, I can't sell my car now because this light's on. Or every time I get into my vehicle, I see the light and I worry, but I don't have time to look at it or get it figured out. It really shouldn't be a hindrance. It's really a helpful thing, much like the TPMS sensor or the, the air pressure light.
1: Areas that they do state emission testing, and you have to go through that annually, the emission testing is almost gotten to the point where if there's no lights on and there's no current codes in there, it passes. You don't have to put a tool up the tailpipe to measure the, the gases that are coming out, and it's, it's truly simplified the emission testing.
2: What can I do never to see a light? Is there something I can do?
1: Keeping your car maintained, doing the routine service as it's required will help minimize it, but things break, and it gets to the point where there's nothing you can do about it other than get it repaired.
0: You can't always be ahead of the game, necessarily, with all the different systems in a car.
1: No, the demands that are put on these cars are phenomenal, and things are going to fail. You dial it back to the 70s like we were talking, and a car was pretty much wore out at 100,000 miles, and half a million miles is not uncommon anymore.
2: So, it's a good thing to pay attention to the lights and make sure that you get that half a million miles out of the vehicle. It will definitely help get you there.
0: <laughs> so, my takeaway from this part of the conversation is that there really none of the lights should be ignored, but there are some lights that you absolutely shouldn't ignore. As a matter of fact, you should act on immediately. And what might those be? I'm not holding you to the fire in this, Brian, but I know there's some that are pretty serious.
1: A couple of them would be the oil pressure light, if that comes on and flashing, coolant temperature, a check engine light that's flashing, the tire pressure monitor light, just to verify that that tire isn't going flat right now.
0: So let's say you're on the interstate and one of these scenarios happens, this is something where you should really get off at the next exit or pull over the side of the highway type thing?
1: There's a couple of them, the oil pressure and the temperature if those are coming on, I would get off as far to the edge of the road as you can and shut it off immediately.
0: You know, we have a couple of really good links out there at allaboutthecarpodcast.com. And one of those links is a good article on how many different warning lights there are out there, which is a good one. And also the ones you shouldn't ignore. So do two different links. Make sure you hook into those and you can get more information on exactly what we're talking about. Another scenario that came in from a listener was their check engine light will come on and then go off, and they won't see it for a couple hundred miles, then come back on. So it's one of those things that's easy to forget about if that happens. What are your thoughts on that? What's your recommendation, Brian?
1: You should get it scheduled in at your earliest convenience, but it's something that doesn't have to be done immediately. The computer system has the ability to store what area that it's seen the fault in and it can let the technician know what to search for, even though the light may not be on now.
2: Do you know how far back it saves that data?
1: It's quite a while.
0: Now, we touched briefly uh, a few minutes ago in regards to uh, Bill. I think you asked the question, what can we do to ensure that these lights don't come on or we have system failures? And And Brian, your reply was... It's really hard to stay ahead of the game. There's so many different games going on, I guess, in your car. And I I totally understand that. Preventative maintenance, though, I would think would help that.
1: It definitely helps prevent problems. And while the maintenance is being done, a good technician will give a good visual look over and try to identify and prevent future problems.
0: I would urge our listeners to uh, go back and listen to a previous podcast about preventative maintenance in regards to that. Also, maybe before a trip, uh, just kind of a pre-check. I don't know if that helps at all, but uh, it might help with the tire pressure or the TPMS light or the low-pressure light. we got to stay connected with our vehicle. We can't completely rely on the trouble lights, if you will. But we need to stay connected in the way of visual inspections, preventative maintenance, And prepare yourself physically and mentally for that situation when it might happen. In other words, um, you're loading everybody up in the car, you're heading to Tennessee. Let it run through your mind as to what you're going to do if this happens. So if that light comes on, you're on the interstate on the highway, so you don't panic. What are you going to do? What's the plan of attack? Is that the mindset we should have?
2: Most certainly. I would definitely have my cell phone with me, you know, like consider investing in, you know, AAA type things to be able to call. Cause like, who do you call (laughs) if you are on the roadside and maybe, you know, having some opportunities along the way to kind of just keep track of what kind of vendors you would necessarily need.
1: Google can be your best friend at that point. Yeah,
2: exactly. As long as you got cell signal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think, Brian, you were the one that mentioned uh, the owner's manual. I think that's a, a big aid or help when something like this does happen. So be familiar with the owner's manual. At least know where it is.
1: That know. is the most underutilized tool that we have in our 100%. car.
2: The kids in the backseat could draw all of the symbols that come on the dashboard light for something for them to do. Absolutely. There we go. Make <laughs> fun of it, right?
1: <laughs> that's a good one.
0: <laughs> I guess on the more on the serious side, though, if... Something like this does happen to you, and let's just say the scenario is, yes, I got, I have to get off the interstate or pull over the side of the road. Don't forget about roadside safety. We will have a podcast in regards to that, actually, next time. Keep that in mind. Roadside safety is so important. Well, let's take a left right now. Let's head off the highway just for a moment. Let's talk about our Wisconsin road trip. As most of you know, in Wisconsin, we're heading into some colder months coming up here. And uh, a lot of different things happen when it gets cold. We start to see ice on our lakes and some of our rivers. And, uh, you know, there's a really interesting place up north. You're thinking, what the heck? We're going to go up north when it's getting colder. But, yeah, we're talking about that. We're talking about the ice road to Madeline Island. And, Bill, you and I had talked about that briefly a little, uh, just a while ago. And you've been there.
2: Yes, it was several years ago that I, we actually had gone up to Bayfield for uh, my mother's, I think it was one of her birthdays, and we had stayed in like some, I can't remember where, it might have been the Rittenhouse, but it, we didn't stay at the Rittenhouse, but it was in the facility close by, but they had a mystery weekend, and that there, they everyone talks about Oh, have you gone across the Ice Highway? Have you gone across the Ice Road or whatever that might be to Madeline Island? So we henned and we sure enough we drove over and, you know, drove around Madeline and had a great time and it, it was pretty cool.
0: No, they say it's just just fun. It's just a great thing to do. I can't imagine that. It just sounds cold right now. It just sounds like it would be just a a hard thing. Uh I don't know. What's what's the draw?
2: I think cause you're driving on ice and you're driving across this vast, what seems like a, a very vast amount of water. You know, like you think of obviously ice fishermen and, you know, like they go out and they drive on the ice and don't probably think anything of it, but normally that's on a lake. And here you're traversing like you're on a regular road and there's cars coming and going and it just is a very different experience. Plus, you have a destination. You're not just going out to fish, uh, you're actually going maybe to your house on Madeline Island. And we did happen to stop at some bars and some restaurants that were available at that time. So we had a great time. So you're
0: actually doing this in your car? Yes. And I would assume there's pickup trucks out there? Mm -hmm. Any commercial traffic? That
2: I don't remember.
0: I'd be a little worried about that. without the ice and without that ice bridge if you will i would imagine a ferry is the normal
2: you go back and forth on the ferry and i think from the information is that uh, people talked about wind sleds i don't think i think we saw some wind sleds i think of back in flipper days the tv show flipper oh yeah the, the, well, the, 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 you went way back there <laughs> <laughs> the skiff in uh, you know like with the big fan on the back with the sled and that's what it is that's a wind sled oh my gosh I think they had like cages around that fact of like you got inside more of like a boat that had some so you didn't freeze to death on the way over.
0: So I would imagine knowing an upper area, northern area of Wisconsin, the snow, I would imagine they keep that plowed. Is that like a regular road? That, totally. Kind of like yes. ice road trucker type right. thing? Yeah,
2: 100%. And, and if we have some listeners from Bayfield that I'm sure that they can send us some messages and tell us all about it or other people who have necessarily had that experience more recently.
0: What time of the year does this open up?
2: Normally it to gets to January, February. Before that ice to get thick enough. And then they monitor that ice constantly throughout the day. If there's a shift, you know, obviously people's, it's pretty dangerous, like not to to have it crack. So I think that they probably stop the traffic and go back to ice sleds and wind sleds before the ice becomes too dangerous or, you know, there might be a heave in the road. I do remember like, you know, having to drive around some heaving spots oh, in the ice. That's the fun of it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: You know, as I was doing a little bit of research on this, and like Brian said earlier, Google's, Google's your friend. So I'm yeah, Googling this, and I learned that also they have a big event up there in the middle of uh, February called Book Across the Bay. From what I could see, that's happening again this year. It hasn't been canceled yet with COVID. That'll
2: be, be next year, Rob. I'm 2021. sorry. 20, 2021,
0: February. Yeah. Yes, it's coming up. Thank goodness. And uh, they say there's up to 4,000 skiers that book across the bay.
2: That's amazing. That would be a great event to go to. I don't
0: think I'd be the skier, but I'd love to see it. And it sounds like there's some beer and some good times there, too, as well.
2: And Bayfield is a great place to visit.
0: Okay, let's reel back and let's talk about a little bit more of the nitty-gritty of my dash warning lights. Just so we are better prepared and more informed as drivers... You've identified this. You have a problem. uh, You've had to pull over or you've decided that it's something that you can schedule. Does the car manufacturer dealer, if I said that correctly, do they have to be the one to take care of this problem?
1: No. And the only time that it would have to go back to the dealer is if it's covered under the manufacturer's warranty. Outside of that, any... Reputable repair shop can take care of that for you.
0: So that's pretty commonplace in the day and Yep, absolutely. And I know, I'm, again, I'm not putting you on the spot here, Brian, but expected cost to have this figured out. In other words, have the, I think I heard the word code earlier, to have the code read.
1: Oh, well, reading the code just gets you the area that the computer sees that there's a problem. Once you get that identified, then you have to go down into that particular system and do some testing. Depending how involved it is, I would anticipate 100 to 150 would diagnose most systems. It can take longer if it gets into electrical issues and things like that. A broken wire, mouse chewed through a wire or something like that can definitely take longer. So
0: generally speaking, you're going to have about that much money into it to know what direction or what repairs...
1: To find out what's going on, yep. And then your parts and labor costs would be above and beyond that.
0: Okay, that sounds fair. sounds to me like the day of the backyard mechanic, if you will, and I hate to stereotype that way. I've been that person as well, but... Sounds like those days might almost be gone unless you can afford a lot of diagnostic equipment or the right equipment for each of these vehicles.
1: Uh, the right equipment is getting more expensive. It can still be done, but you're going to have to have some basic knowledge of what's going on as well as access to the equipment.
2: Access to the equipment, I think of like, so are you going to go and buy this at Target Fleet Farm, or an automotive store, like, you know, Napa? Do I go in and buy my diagnostic machine?
1: Yes, you can go to the part stores and buy the code readers and then you can upgrade from there to various systems that allow you to turn on, turn off some actuators to help you diagnose what's going on. That can easily turn into five, six hundred thousand dollars.
0: It sounded to me like you almost need to leave it to the experts that are equipped for this and ready to go.
1: It's getting more and more towards that as time goes on
0: so self-diagnosis is possible but becoming more difficult is what i'm hearing just to recap and repair might be a different thing once you know what it needs might be able to do some of the repair yourself possibly
1: possibly it just depends on what's going on how far you got to get into it and sometimes you have to work on the car from underneath which is definitely safer on a hoist versus jack stands
0: now, we briefly, in the beginning of our conversation, we talked a little bit about all the different systems on a car that are linked to the computer that communicate through your dash, through lights. And we talked about some of the unusual systems that do actually bring a light on, but probably aren't real commonplace. And, for example, a, a burnt-out light bulb. I think there's a car or two out there, if I'm not mistaken, that will bring a light on the dash if your tail light's out, for example, but not too common.
1: Not real common. You see it more in the European models.
2: Okay. Well, I always think of it's not common yet. Since, you know, like three years ago, four years ago was the first time that you have an app on your phone and you get notification from your car. Or you could start your car from your f- cell phone. So I think, you know, all that in due time, I think of it as like it's just one big computer becoming more of one large computer that I have access to from an app. Uh, actually,
1: it's about a dozen or more computers on your car that are intertwined and they talk to each other.
2: Then I'd call that a network. It is definitely a <laughs> network. A network.
1: <laughs> and if you replace a window control motor on some cars, you have to program it to the body control module. And five years ago, that was a plug and play. You put it in and it's done.
0: Bill, that's interesting. You, you've uh, taken the conversation in that direction. I mean, What's to come? You know, it changes every year. We're, we're talking about a lot of different things that are coming up and that have happened uh, more recently in the automotive industry. The big news in the last eight years is autonomous cars, cars that drive and do them their own thing and, and drive themselves.
2: I know somebody who has one of those cars that, you know, like, it it will drive itself. I think it's like 45 seconds to a minute, and then you have to touch the steering wheel. But during that time, he lives in a community near here, and he said, you know, like, there's this this big bend in the road that goes up, and it's a little kind of scary, I think, of like, you know, it's not easy. And he's like, I just had to test it and see if it could manage it. And I'm like, "Uh, you have more guts than I do, so I'm not there yet not there.
0: So you had mentioned earlier, too, in a conversation we were having that your your vehicle uh, has many different assist modes, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you were just referring to in regards to if you get a little bit off center in the road, it'll help you get you know, back right, there, yeah. helps you stop your car.
2: And I think those things, you know, they might be on newer vehicles now, but give it a couple of years and it's going to become standard safety. I mean, that's so many things. Now they have the little lights on the rear view mirrors that show like, oh, there's a car in the blind spot. You know, so I think that those are safety things. They're not, you know, as you mentioned, creature comforts. There's definitely creature comfort aspects, but there's also some just very basic safety. The whole radar around your vehicle is just going to become standard
0: you know, until we all here in central Wisconsin or Wisconsin in general get to that point of autonomous cars, and, and we've got to keep, I guess, keep in tune with our cars today. There are some components and systems on our vehicle that still need a visual inspection, still need to keep your eyes and ears open for grinding, squeaking sounds. That still exists today for us and probably will in the future as well. So
1: oh, even with the autonomous cars, you're still going to have that. You're going to have to do maintenance on it, look at the systems, make sure everything's up to speed.
0: Always going to be moving parts. So don't solely rely on the warning lights. Keep your eyes and ears open for indications of any kind of mechanical issues.
2: I was just seeing signs on the road the other day. Keep your eyes on the road and the hands on the steering wheel. Two good things.
0: Good reminder, absolutely. Well, we've covered a lot of information today in our dash warning light episode of our podcast. We've gone through a little bit of history and where this all began and where, where are we at today. Uh, we talked about the importance of the lights and not to ignore them and which ones are more important than others. And the question came up, is there anything I can do to prevent the lights from coming on or my system failures? We talked a lot about that. And we also talked about keeping in tune and in touch with your car. The lights are there to communicate with you as a driver don't tune out the noises and squeaks of your car
2: and don't forget a great opportunity to go up to bayfield and travel across the ice road
0: so ride along with us next time when we talk about roadside breakdown where it's all about the car to listen to previous episodes find additional resources or to send us a message head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com see you next time